Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Dalton. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Welcome back to another episode of Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. And today I'm so excited to be joined by none other than the amazing Lisa Rawson out in the boonies of California. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Hi, Augustine. It's so good to be here. It's so nice to see you. I am so excited. This has been a long time coming. It has been. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Long journey. So can you, will you do a little intro? I have some things to say about you, but will you... Will you tell us who you are and where you are and what you're all about? Sure. I mean, I'll just give you like a, a little lowdown. Um, yeah. Give us the lowdown. Uh, I am a mother of five um, that I have birthed. I have um, adopted three children. So I have four boys and four girls. Um, the ages range uh, in 17 year span. So I've been a mother for a really long time. As a teen mom, I found midwifery very, very young, um, like, you know, 18 young. And um, yeah, I just kind of followed my path, just continued following my path over and over and over again and filled in the gaps when I couldn't go to births. And um, I've predominantly lived rurally. I, I started off in like a major downtown Seattle hospital. So like experienced that really, really young and was like, Whoa, that's crazy. Like I'm, that's not how I gave birth. And that is not like, wow. Um, but I, you know, experienced several hundred births with people who some of them, I didn't even speak their language, but you know, birth is its own language. So that was really cool. Continued on my path had my own babies with my partner, my husband, um, had them on an Island. And since then I've just continued to do rural midwifery, like very, very rural. Um, sometimes I'm two hours, uh, from any medical facility and the medical facility that's close to me is not like a major hospital or anything like that. So, um, yeah. And, um, I do fertility stuff and paps and, um, you know, like kind of like branched out. I'm always like looking for like, where am I learning? Where's my next path? What am I supposed to do next? Um, I'm, I'm pretty adventurous as a person. So that like leads me onto paths that maybe others find, you know, not wanted. And, uh, yeah, I've lived in, I I lived on an Island, uh, for a little while, uh, about 10 years. I live in Mendocino County right now. I practice very rurally autonomously. I get my assistance where I can with COVID It threw me for a loop, which it has for, I think many of us in various ways. 
And uh, yeah, now I'm starting to be like, hey, like, what's my next thing? Um, and uh, I'm not done with midwifery. Midwifery is not done with me. It's definitely a lifelong path for me. And um, it's like a myriad of things. You know, the, one of the things with midwifery that's really amazing is that you're always learning. You're always growing. I know people say that all the time, but you know, you have to be able to like, uh, mold into that and you have to like change into that and learn from your experiences. And maybe you're not attending births. Maybe, you know, you're doing midwifery and like uh, other things, you know, and that's, that's great. Cause it's, you know, it takes a village to birth a new being into this world and into your community and into your family. Like the circle gets smaller and smaller, right? Just like the more pregnant you get, your world gets smaller and smaller. And then your world like opens and opens and you see it through new eyes. Well, midwifery is the same thing for me in that it's like super hyper-focused into community midwifery. And now I'm like, okay, so maybe I want to like look out and expand. And, um, and that's still midwifery. Uh, you can do administrative work. You can do uh, philanthropy work, policy, advocacy, all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. All of that. And it's also necessary. It takes a village to like rise us up out of this archaic system that, you know, as this, you know, patriarchal archaic system. Absolutely. I mean, I could like rant on about that, but I won't. Well, I love that. I mean, this is, this is midwifery, right? We feel it in our heart and bones and everything. Well, so if I remember correctly, weren't you the last midwife to use the challenge system in California? I was. So I got the last challenge mechanism license in California in 2014. Um, They have since reopened that. It's a Mm. new dynamic. It's a new pathway. It's a, it's a different dynamic. They opened that back up and I believe 2000. So it took Mm. them another like six years to really like uh, hone Mm. that in. And, and now it's like way more specific and you know, what I think happened is that they realized like, Hey, like we have senior midwives who are coming in and they have no licensing mechanism in California state. So we have all (laughs) these like new midwives who need need preceptors and they need, and people were retiring and Mm -hmm. they realized like, Hey, we, we have to provide some sort of licensing mechanism. It's, it's about three times the cost that I did when I did it in 2014, um, that door closed January 1st, 2015. So I guess maybe like you would say like December 31st, 2014, I got my license, um, December 17th, 2014 is what it says on my license. And I worked so hard for that. And so did my family. Like I had you know, like I, I was like, wow, I've been practicing and doing this and like around birth, I cannot wait any longer. And so in 16 months, I did all the paperwork, did all the testing, paid the fees, went to the places, did the things of the things, um, while raising eight children, we like my youngest was, um, I think it was two and a half or three when I started. He was born in um, 2010. So, um, like, I stopped going to births and started doing my my examinations. I think he was like two and a half. Um, he turned three two weeks before I got my license in the mail. So, um, yeah, and he's the youngest of eight, four boys, four girls, wow. and. We had taken on the wow. nieces and there was like wow. a lot of stuff busy, going on. Busy life. Yeah. Busy, crazy. Life. busy, busy life. And I think like lots of midwives, um, can attest to that. Like it's, uh, yeah. So yeah. I mean, Raising was, kids and great. being on call is like no joke. It's like a full on lifestyle. <laughs> it is. Well, and I yep. like completely credit my partner. I have to say it. I've been yeah. married 
the same person for 25 years. I was going to birth when he met me. He's never given up on me. The kids have supported me. Um, And yeah, I just, I, I have to give some like shout out to like the family unit, you know, that supports the midwife, the village that supports the midwife. That's awesome. Have you seen that song, um, Married to a Midwife on YouTube? Yes. <laughs> that was written by the husband of a former student of mine. And I always oh, yeah. love it. Oh, yeah. Married to a midwife. <laughs> yeah. My husband's like, okay, we, we need like a men's or a partner, like not necessarily the men, but like partner of the midwife. Crying circle, drumming circle. It's just like, like, we're just like, we drum and we're just like, or like whatever, like spontaneous poetry. And there's lots of crying and, you know, I know actually, I want you to make uh, like a TikTok or reel about this. Have you seen that one where, um, the men are all sitting outside target waiting for their wives? Yes. It's like a support club. We should make a meme about that for midwife oh, yeah. husbands and midwife partners. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's hilarious. Perfect. Well, I I've met him epic, epic human doing his own good work in the world. And that's, that's an awesome shout out. Well, um, so Lisa today we, uh, we like made this effort and came together to have this chat, um, to really talk about something that is rough and, and hard for some midwives to talk about. And that is uh, yeah. rejection in midwifery. Yeah. Um, there is kind of a crisis, uh, and I would say even an epidemic of, um, midwives and students rejecting each other. There's a crisis yeah. in the preceptor apprenticeship relationship. Um, and then there's this secondary, uh, one that causes a lot of trauma and is not talked about a lot. And that is when, um, after you serve a client, they, Mm -hmm. they, they reject you and, and for some Mm -hmm. reason find fault in what you've done. And certainly some of this is, is, um, is warranted. You know, we, we have all heard of stories of midwives who, um, you know, act inappropriately or abandon their clients or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but we're mm-hmm. talking really more about very unwarranted, um, uh, abandonments and rejections like mm-hmm. clients who don't pay or like mm-hmm. clients who, um, who then start a smear campaign against their midwife mm-hmm. on social media mm-hmm. or, you know, like there was a case in Wisconsin where the, the, client actually created a whole website trying to warn other moms against this midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then there's just the simple heartache of having someone that you work really hard for. And, you know, we all kind of fall in love with our clients a little bit mm-hmm. who then just says, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you experienced yeah. this ever? I have. I've, I've experienced several of those things. Um, you know, I think that when you get into midwifery, there is this, like, it's kind of like the first time that you're, um, the first time that you're doing something as a young person and you're really excited about. So maybe that's prom, maybe that's makeup, maybe that's, um, like getting a custom fitted, whatever, but it's like, you're super excited about it. And so you have this expectation and you get into that and you start doing that. And then, you know, the reality hits you. The dress doesn't fit right. It, the makeup is not what you thought it would be. The friendship is, um, has faults and it's not really easy. Um, you know, you get a new car and it breaks down. It's like your first car ever. And you're like, Oh man, I'm on the side of the highway and my, my engines underneath me, you know, like there's, there's this, um, expectation. So I think that like, as, as newer midwives, and it doesn't matter really how much life experience you have to be quite honest. Like I had a ton of life experience, ton, like just like ran a business for my husband dealt with employees. Like I had been doing midwifery and like a really small scale underground scale. But when you broaden your, um, horizon and you bring in clients that are of a varying kind, um, you know, you're, you're learning 
and you're learning from them and you're learning from the experiences and those experiences are not all they're they're not going to be great the ones the ones that you learn from are hard they don't go easy when it goes easy you're not really learning anything like i've had students young midwives look at me and they're like they just look at me like I'm a Debbie Downer, like, like, oh, oh God, she's just burnt out or, hey, I'm not burnt out. I'm just telling you, I am telling you, it is not all roses and petals and freaking lavender essential oil. Like, it's not like that's, you know, that's not like, I don't know how much like essential oil you have to sniff while you're like, in your car crying because it did not happen the way I would pass out from that much essential oil sniffing. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it's not. Oh my God. Like, oh, Lisa, just, I love you so much. This is definitely why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah, there is no amount of essential oil in the world that's going to solve this problem. No, it's not. Like, I had oh, thank you. Like, no. Like at oh, a certain fuck. point, it's like, shit. Can I say that yeah. here? I don't know yeah. how to say that here. We have a non, non-modulated podcast. Just, you, go for it. you know, like, how am I going to sleep tonight? Because I feel like I want to poop my pants. It's so horrible. Like I, you know, you have clients that they're repeat clients. They're even repeat clients. So they're repeat clients first part, they came to you. Maybe they came to you late of care. Maybe they came to you after a miscarriage. They came to you in like this state of like desperation. First birth, great. Everything's great. Presents, lunches, you know, whatever. Bonuses, like all the things, right? All the reviews on Google, all these things. And then the second birth, like something happens in their pregnancy or in your birth which is part of healthcare. Okay. So like, it's just part of healthcare. Like, um, you know, I can, you're not available immediately at 3am on Sunday when they have diarrhea like that. Yeah. Like that, or even that you go to their house and you're available and you like, they massively hemorrhage and you do all the things to do all the things. You do the hemorrhage, they're stabilized, everything is fine. And they're like really, Mm -hmm. really upset that that happened to Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So the part for me that, the part for me that like is, that I've been like working through in the last like three to four months, because I've had some doozies, okay? Like even as like a really experienced midwife with like some massive like, Oh God. Okay. We need to pray to whoever you're going to pray to whatever going down, it's going down. Um, it's like, I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, no, I did these things. I, I am a birth trauma counselor. So retrospectively, I'm like, so I have my own trauma. It's like so many layers, right? So I think that that's one of the things that's really, really difficult for not only clients, but midwives. So it's, and especially for midwives, like I'm specifically speaking to midwives right now, you have your own births that you have had, right. Or miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies or abortions or failed pregnancies or infertility. You have your own big baggage. You are bringing your baggage and then something happens with one of your clients and it re-traumatizes you as well. And then it's like, okay, like as a birth trauma processor, I'm like, that's not her. Like, I can't really like actually speak to her about that. I can't use I statements. I can't. So then there's like, where am I supposed to go with this? Like where where do you go with your own trauma? You go to other midwives, you go to peer review. They are not necessarily supportive. I'm telling you, peer review is like a shark tank. 
my my little like my little peer like it's just like a shark tank with like little minnows that have been feeding to fodder the students the new midwives like they want to come and they want to like share their heart and soul and like learn from like a soul path level unlike the older midwives the more senior midwives they're just god it's just poopy it's just absolutely poopy it's just like how is this happening and so like there's so many layers and so like what i've tried to do is like be constantly authentic in my emotions of being like hey this is what happened it was really shitty this is the way that i feel about it my client is dealing with this trauma i can't necessarily process her trauma with also my trauma that's on top of that how how do we get beyond that you know because quite frankly in america having an out of hospital birth is a privilege most of these people i would say 80% are paying for this out of pocket you're hoping to get reimbursed some mediocre amount through your private pay insurance which is like so if you're paying $6000 out, out of pocket you're going to maybe get like $1500 excuse me if you can pay $6000 out of pocket 1500 bucks is not like a lot of money to you so you know it's like most of these people most of the clients that we're dealing with they have this privilege they have this sense of entitlement and okay when i pay i paid $6000 i think i paid i think i paid $9500 out of pocket for some dental work when it wasn't done right i was i was mad i was really mad i was like i paid $9500 for this make it right and i'm not paying paying you anymore because unfortunately all stems back to the fact that we have a profit based healthcare system in america which is where i practice and you know it's it just leads to this like financial trauma so like people something happens you took care of it but because they paid out of pocket they believe that that should never have happened they don't want that to be part of their birth story <laughs> nobody wants to hemorrhage and almost die or have a baby be resuscitated and transported or have a third or fourth degree repair with pelvic floor dysfunction for the rest of their life or something that they have to deal with for the rest of their life and they're like yeah and i also pay it out of pocket for that so it like layers onto this trauma because they paid out of pocket for it and it's really unfortunate because it doesn't really allow us as care providers to connect with our patients our clients and really like process the actual true trauma and when there is a traumatic birth I'm just going to say this when there is a traumatic birth everybody in the freaking room is traumatized everyone yep nobody is immune yep no one no one's yep. immune Gram grandma's walking away with her trauma baby's got their birth trauma mom dad everyone yep everyone mm -hmm. every single person has that trauma how they process it and who they process it with it's going to be really really different um like i recently had an experience as a birth trauma processor i state to people i cannot have been to your birth to process your trauma so like it's really important to me if you're paying me cash dollars to process your birth trauma I do not want to have been to your birth. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or have done a pap smear on you. Or yeah. have done So you can have that objectivity. Lab. Yeah, exactly. right, exactly. Yeah. Like there has to well, be a like layer of I, removal. I just, 
I love what you what you brought up, which is this compounded financial trauma. Like, I don't think many people are talking about this because of the way the system is so broken and people have to opt out of the system in order to see midwives. Um, yeah. yeah, financial trauma, even if they can afford it, is a part of it because it's not the way the mainstream system is set up. You're supposed yeah. to have a third party payer system. And so when you don't have that, when it's just one-on-one, mm-hmm. there's going to be a, I deserve thing happening, mm-hmm. even if they aren't generally an entitled yeah. person. That makes a lot of sense. I, I hadn't really yeah. explored that before. Hmm. Like when you go to Ikea and you buy a sofa, you expect that you're going to put that sofa together. And if it falls apart in three months, you're going to blame yourself because you put it together. Right. You're like, well, okay. Yeah. Well, crap. I paid $350 for this Ikea sofa. I brought it home in some boxes and it fell apart after three months. Well, I don't know. I don't even know how to like hang a freaking picture in my house. So I guess it's fine. You go to Ashley furniture and I'm just using like major name brands here. You go to Ashley furniture, you spend you know, $1,500 on a sofa and they deliver it to your house with this like white, white glove, whatever charge that they do, which is probably my travel fee is the way that people see it because I do home visits. And then the thing falls apart and you're like, oh, hell no. You're calling Ashley Furniture. You're like, I could have gone to Ikea, but I didn't. And now my sofa is falling apart and you better give me a new sofa. And it doesn't matter that like my two teenage boys were wrestling on it and they broke it. Like it's like not part of the backstory. You just call Ashley furniture and you're like, yeah, no. Right. So this is so interesting. I love what you're saying. This is so interesting. So what, what the mainstream world has done is they've created malpractice insurance right? Oh, yeah. That's your return, right? For the yeah. big box purchase. Yes. But, mm-hmm. but midwifery doesn't generally have that. Now I know there's some midwives right. in Washington state who are, can afford to carry malpractice, but most around the country, most don't. So, right. so the question would be like, how do we as a profession either carry malpractice insurance, the return policy, or function more like Ikea, create more personal responsibility for the consumer? Like, how do we do that? How do we shift as, as a profession? Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, I, I think that, yeah. So I think that like the personal responsibility is, it goes back to like, so it goes back to informed consent. It goes back to your documentation. It goes back to the conversations that you've had. And it goes back to your client signing. Like they must sign, they must actually physically sign their name with a date and your documentation must like the, the course that you have, um, for documentation, it's like, not only is it in charting, not only do you have to defensively chart, defensively charting is also file keeping, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just like what's happening during the birth and during the prenatal, but the choices. So like I have a three page informed consent documentation. That informed consent documentation is a documentation that lists every single thing that we will be talking about and discussing. And it has- Yeah. And it has like on the very top, it has this disclaimer, this like four line disclaimer. And then every single thing is listed right down to like STI testing, prenatal panel, like the prenatal panel, STI testing, like blah, 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 every single thing. And they accept or decline. And then they sign every single one. It's not a one page, like accept, decline. And then you No, every single one they have to accept or decline. In my contract with with client responsibilities, you must initial next to every single line. And then there is three signatures and and those signatures 
you know, they identify financial responsibility, client responsibility, and termination of care. It all, and then at the very end, there is a consent to care. So I spent quite a bit of money going to a lawyer, creating my documents. I've been, I've been laughed at by certain midwives. I've been shunned by certain midwives. So like, oh, Lisa and her paperwork. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like I had somebody who wanted to sue me because their water birth tub, the one that I brought over to their house, which their three-year-old punctured and the water got all over, damaged their floors. Yeah. In my contract, there's like damage from birth, you know, but it's like uh, damage from like birth stuff in the home birth. It's in my contract. Yeah. No, you're not like not going to pay that $3,800 fee. No, not going to happen. So, I mean, it's like, it's like clearly it's like this, this like huge puncture mark. It's like, ah, like he just was like, yeah, I'm going to stab that water everywhere. Sorry, you didn't get your water to birth and also not going to restore not, your floors. Not my responsibility. So, you know, yeah, and, absolutely. I mean, at the time I was like, Oh, look at that. Never seen that before. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it was funny or whatever, but I mean, she had her baby like 30 minutes later, she was super mad, but I mean, you know, it's like, you have to have clauses. You have to, um, so there's that, there's that process of like, yes, just an aside, if you don't want to pay your own lawyer, we have a suite of 15 different informed decision-making documents on the website, midwifrywisdom.com that have been legally reviewed by our birth justice lawyer and have also been, um, evidence-based with references so that you can customize them for your own practice. So that's available to you. I love that. Absolutely love that. And as I'm like leaving this community and considering other pathways, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be a community birth midwife, I'm just going to pay for everything. I am not going to even like, I'm, I'm going to be going out of state. So I'm just like, I'm not, no, I'm not reinventing the wheel. No, I'm not going to do it. I love, I love that the midwifery wisdom is like helping the new generation of midwives protect themselves because you know, there's, there's, there's that. And then there's like the free birth movement, which I, I am totally for the free birth movement. I, I, I am totally for that, but I am also aware that there are many, many different types of clients and there's many, many different types of midwifery. And so the midwives who are serving a population who want all the testing and they want all the things, you better have your paperwork. You better have all the things. You better have all the things that protect you and you better have I think all especially the for the clients that don't want it. See, I've stopped calling it informed consent and I've started calling them informed decision-making documents because actually right. I don't care if you consent to the standard of care. What I care totally. about is if you refuse the standard of care. Um, yes. So informed decision-making documents are vital. What else is vital to help this personal responsibility um, of the client really take off and take over? You know, I think, you know, we put a lot of focus on like the relationship, you know, visiting the relationship, blah, blah, blah. I think that what's really vital is understanding the population that you're serving. I have, there have been many times when I have seen in my own experience and also heard from other midwives, I really trusted her. We had a great relationship. I didn't see it coming. She signed all the paperwork. I, well, her husband did too, or her partner did too. I don't understand where things went wrong, right? So I think that another really vital part of um, this process is understanding that sometimes we miss it. Like sometimes we want it to be something that it actually isn't. And when you feel that feeling of like, this might not be going the way that I want it to, you need to err on the side of caution, um, not for them, but for your own self. 
like we need to protect ourselves and we need to think about ourselves as well as our two clients, right? The mother or the person giving birth and the baby, right? Absolutely. I say that all the time. Please take care of yourself at least as well as you take care of your clients. Yes. Yeah. Please. Yes. Yeah. We won't survive in this profession if you don't. Yeah. And if you're tired, you need to call in the other person, even if it costs you money that you don't have. If you, if you really, really need the money, but you just are like, I can't take on a fifth person this month. Don't take on that person that that person will find somebody else. The person giving birth will find somebody else or they're, they'll go unassisted or they'll be super unassisted and walk into a hospital or they'll find a birth center or they'll find another midwife. Like that's kind of been like, I mean, for myself, it's been an issue. Like I serve a vast population that is underserved. People call me rural, and they're like, very rural, yeah, very, very rural. Very I mean, spread we're out. talking like mm-hmm. mountains, you drive no reception, for hours. hours. <laughs> I drive for hours into the mountains, no reception, no hospital in the fog snow, whatever, alone. And I'm just like, why am I do-? like, as I'm going to the birth, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? And then I realized to myself, like, yeah, that's not good care. That's not good care for that family, let alone for my longevity in midwifery. And let me tell you right now, we are at a shortage of senior midwives. And so as a senior midwife, I'm like, I can't burn out. I'm only 45. I have got to have like some sort of longevity. Like I'm not going to become an RN. I'm not going to become, I mean, I had fantasies of becoming a garbage truck driver. Like really I did. They get paid $60 an hour where I live. I was After like. your last shoulder to show you were like, that's yeah. it. I'm out of like, here. <laughs> Shit. Like my husband, my poor husband. So like whenever I have like a doozy of a birth the next day, he's like, he gives me tacos and a shot of tequila and he puts me in the car and then he's like, okay, let's drive around and do errands. And you can just like say whatever you want to say. Like he just like lets me soundboard. It's like a Saturday Night Live skit. It's hysterical. Oh my God. Can you please videotape one of those? (laughs) Please. The last one, like we passed the garbage truck driver and I'm like, I heard that garbage truck drivers get great benefits. They make like $60 an hour. I think I could do that. I've driven the Suburban with the trailer. I think I think I should be a garbage truck driver. He was like, whoa. It's a bad nap. He was like, wow, babe, that was a doozy for you. And I was like, yeah, I just, I'm, you know, bring somebody with you. Don't be alone. Do not be alone. Just don't do it. I've done it. It's awful. Don't do it. Don't have a witness. Like you want to have a witness to like, for your process to process. And for your protection. And for your protection. Yeah. So when you're documenting something and you're the only one there, like, uh, danger, 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 danger. Well, so, so Lisa, you're just alluding to like the next question I had for you, which is you've been in this game long enough that, um, it's, it's damn exhausting. And, um, burnout is literally right around the corner for most midwives. And I just, I wonder, like you are stepping away from a big, busy practice, um, partly family responsibilities and partly I'm guessing just a need to do something different for a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you think of, of all the midwives around the country, who are also struggling against fighting for payer sources or even clients to reimburse them, fighting for recognition in their state, defending themselves against aggressive persecution from the medical model, from hospitals, from doctors. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and just really even kind of fighting to survive and not making enough money and not putting money away for retirement and and mm-hmm. really in an unsustainable profession there are yep. very few midwives in the US who actually are practicing sustainably and sustainably mm-hmm. means the thing could go on even if you weren't there correct you know mm-hmm. yep um, that's very uncommon so in mm-hmm. this incredibly unsustainable profession where everyone is fueled by their passion and almost nothing else um, how how do you how do you deal with the trauma or, I mean, this creating sustainability is a whole nother podcast, but like mm-hmm, just be in the moment sure. with a few of the, of the midwives who are in this struggle. Like, how are you taking care of yourself? How are, how have you made the shift out of martyrdom and into centering yourself in this process? And how did you mm-hmm. decide to disengage? It's a really great question, Augustine. Um, I love you for your questions. Just like always like my brain, anytime I listen to your podcast, I'm like, Ooh, food for the brain. Going to get that going. Um, so I think that early on, um, early on in my life, I realized that, so I was a single mom. I was 17. I was living alone, government housing, left an abusive relationship. And, um, I realized, um, my mother is a very, very strong woman to the betterment of our relationship in that's another podcast, but I learned very early on that, like, um, I, when I am feeling overwhelmed, I have to take a break. The number one thing on my list is to step away. So I sit down and I like make a list of all the bills that I need to pay that I can't pay. I make a list of all the things that I need to do that I can't do today. I make a list of all the things that are making me angry. And I like, just like, just unleash it in these like lists. And then I step away. Like I make myself I literally make myself like angry voice to myself, command to myself to take a break. That break might be a shower and washing my face with the products that I bought that I said I was going to use every day, but I don't. And, you know, like having a glass of wine, it might be that I leave my house and get in my car and like take a hike somewhere and I don't tell anybody where I'm going. And even if I'm on call, I don't give a care that my phone might ring. It might be that I just have some ice cream and watch a movie and rent whatever I want on Amazon. Um, Whatever that is that I'm capable and able to do at that time, then I try to focus on that and then I do it. And I try to like reset myself with that because the responsibilities that I have, not only as a midwife, but as a mother and like, I mean, the eight kids that I have and then bringing in three children, two of which were like severely traumatized and mentally ill. And then, you know, my husband's been self-employed our entire life. Like we've never had a steady paycheck. Like blah, 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 taking care of my oldest, you know, like my parents, all the lineage of things. I can say that the one thing that, um, I learned from the women before me was that a, they were really strong and B they forgot about themselves. And you know what? Screw that. Like, absolutely not. I have a really, really long day in my office. My office is, I have a, it's in a small town. I will plan one day a week where I have back-to-back appointments. So for me, that looks like between four and six appointments, prenatals, fertility, postpartum, whatever. In the middle of that day, I take an hour and a half lunch and I walk down the street and I get myself at one of the nicest restaurants, the lunch and the drink, whether it's alcoholic or not, it doesn't matter. Somebody is serving me and I treat myself to a 40 to $50 lunch that day. 
Why? Because why not? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like I have been to so many birth centers and practices around this country looking for like, what is my next step? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? And the one thing that I see in common with all of them is that they don't take a lunch. They have a 10 hour workday and they don't take lunch. They're sitting there telling their clients and their patients and even their students and their secretaries to take a lunch and they don't take a lunch. No, absolutely not. I'm here to tell not you. Not a working lunch, not a shoving yeah. your face while you're trying to type and text, right? Like exactly. not that kind of lunch. Yeah. No, absolutely. When I say lunch, I mean, you leave your freaking office or your birth center, you walk away from your work. You walk away and you leave your work because you are giving your all when you are there and you are deserving to give your all to yourself when you walk away. An hour and a half out of a nine to 10 hour day? Are you kidding me? You don't deserve that? No, that is not okay. You have to give that to yourself. So, you know, I learned after my third child, when I was super, I mean, that third child is a doozy, right? Like, it's just like, uh-huh, yeah, more work than what you can handle. More children than what you have hands. And it teaches you, like that, it teaches you, like, I, my spice cupboards were organized and alphabetized, and my homeschool schedule was, like, on point. It was looking like some sort of, like, YouTube extraordinaire homeschool mother of the year award. That third one came along and I was like, oh, Jesus, God, are you kidding me? I was like, wait a second. Somebody's always pooping. Like between the three kids and myself, somebody is always pooping and not always in the toilet. Like you gotta be kidding me right now. I was just like, you know, I just like, just like, I can't even handle it right now. I was just like, there is too much. Like I can't. Wow, there's poop or vomit, <laughs> oh, a breast milk, my God. or some like toy like everywhere all the time. I was like, you like you learn, you learn real quick how to, to like how to take care of you, or you would lose your mind, right. right? You'd yeah. lose your mind. It's like so. I guess my <clears throat> my number one thing is like that whole thing that we hear all the time about like put your oxygen mask on first. Okay, fine. Yes, I get it. But you can also slap that oxygen mask on next to the kid next to you before you and get it on you second. That can probably, like, you're probably capable of that. Okay, fine. Because that's your instinct. But as soon as you get that oxygen mask on yourself secondary, you better take a breath. If you don't take a breath, you're not mm. breathing. So you can put your mm. oxygen mask on every single day of the week, but if you are not breathing, you will die slowly, torturously, horribly. So, you know, just breathe. Tell yeah, people there's no so many midwives who are suffocating in their lives. Mm -hmm. You just tell people no more often. They'll find something else. They'll find another midwife. They'll find another way. You know, mm -hmm. just, it's mm -hmm. totally, absolutely fine. You're not an awful person for saying no, like in our society mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Okay. I'm going to say it. The patriarchy, yeah, you know, that's the, the white reason. man's patriarchy. Yeah. Okay. I'm just yeah. going to say it. That, right. Okay. That's the reason. Yeah. That's the reason mm -hmm. that is like, you know, <clears throat> we've been socialized to serve no. the man. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So, I mean, my number one thing would be like, say no more often. You know, I, you know, you want to, you want to say something like super enticing and super like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, like say yes to yourself or like, right. And it was like, say these like mantras, but really it's like, say the fuck no. Okay. Just say that. Like it's, or just say no. Okay. You don't have to yeah. use the F word, but just like, it's okay. It's okay to say no to other people, even when you're not saying yes to yourself. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be in tangent. You, you don't need to like know the answer. 
And the other thing that I would say to midwives who are coming up is like, look, you meet a client. They're super cool. They're super awesome. It's like, Oh, they're my people. They're my family. No, they're not. They're actually not. They're your clients. This is like super unpopular with new midwives and students and all this other stuff. Like I, my husband told me today, he was like, you need to start a podcast. You, this podcast needs to be, I don't want to talk about it. And you just need to talk about everything that nobody wants to talk about because. I love it. Well, we started you off here. Good. You always <laughs> want to talk about things that nobody wants to talk about. And I, <laughs> and I try it. to be tactful and I try to be like politically correct or whatever. Yeah, but the thing is, screw it's like, that. Whatever, just be you. you know? Well, I love this. So, so yeah, I, I say this a lot to students, but let's like, let's belabor the point because it's so important, right? Like mm-hmm. your clients are not your people. Like that is such an important They're not. Uh, like, hashtag, you know, you can feel the biggest connection. You can be like all the choices she's yeah. making. I would make, I see myself in her or yeah. like whatever, but mm-hmm. you still need to keep some level of professional boundary, not even some, like a large level of professional yeah. boundaries and realize yeah. that uh, over the years, you know, I do a lot of consulting and counseling for midwives who are in crisis, who, who've just had a bad outcome or received an a- inquiry or mm-hmm. investigation or lawsuits. And, they got. and I would say it's, it's about half and half the midwives who experience these really challenging, which by the way, if you practice long enough, you will, but the, yep. the midwives who call me who are experiencing this challenge, half of those clients are the ones where they saw the red flag and ignored it. So I talk mm-hmm. a lot about not ignoring that gut feeling, not ignoring yeah. those red flags, but the mm-hmm. other half of the client base that, that caused so much challenge and strife and trouble and trauma and all that they're the ones that you loved. They're the mm-hmm. ones that you fell in love with and they stab yeah. you in the back. You yeah. Know? And it's like, it's really like, like I, so like recently with this whole thing, it's like, I'm like, okay. So like, I'm trying to like conceptualize like from her viewpoint. So like, I'm like, okay, so I'm a birth trauma counselor. I do birth trauma. So I'm like, okay, so I'm the midwife. She's obviously having a trauma response. She had a good outcome. Her birth was traumatizing, but saved her life. Baby is okay. Um, You know, all of the things healed. It's the internal part, right? It's the internal part. I have birth trauma from some of my births. Yeah. Right. One of my births, what I had happen at one of my births, when I was her midwife at her birth, trauma re-traumatized me from my birth. Yeah. And so then I'm like, oh God, down the well hole we go. Oh, here we are spiraling down. And this is the work. And it's like, this is the work and I must face it. Like I, I have two choices as a person, as a woman, self-identifying woman, as a midwife, as a mother, as a wife, I reflected upon, I was like, oh gosh, this is my, this must be what my midwives felt like when this happened to me. So I'm like processing that this must be what my husband and my daughter who witnessed this happening to me, how they felt. Right. Mm. Then there's like the layer of like, as a midwife, did I do everything that I was supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What could I have done differently? Like what, you know, and And then there's like this layer of like, okay, how do I address this with my, with my client? This client is a beloved client of mine. I love her family. They love me. They are repeats. Um, And yet I sit here feeling like I failed her. And 
when I look at all the check boxes, when I look at everything that happened, I'm like, but I did, but I did my job, but I supported her. I followed up. I did the questions. I didn't push my agenda on her. I didn't push my re-traumatization on her, which by the way, as a birth worker, if you have somebody who's been traumatized by a birth that you've attended, even if you've done everything, you cannot approach them and be like, oh, this me, this me, this I, I, I. No, you cannot process your trauma with them. It is, it is not totally unethical. It's totally unethical. It's totally yeah, unethical, absolutely. Inappropriate. Well, let me ask you this. It's very difficult. Lisa, it's, you have to so have those, again, layers. those professional boundaries. It's so, so many layers. Many layers. Can I yeah. ask you this? This is something I tell clients and students and colleagues a lot, and that is that birth trauma results from unmet expectations. It's not what was done or not done to totally. you. It's that you didn't expect that particular outcome. Yeah. So I, I want to go yeah. back to saying like one of the most important things to having a protected practice to having a, a, a midwifery practice where you are not right. at risk mm-hmm. actually goes beyond the signing and the client intake. And it goes all the way back to like your advertising and your marketing mm-hmm. and your professional avatar, mm-hmm. what people perceive it is that you're offering changes what they right. choose. Right. So if it they does. already know that you know, what your skill level is, what you do, what you don't do. If they already can perceive from the imagery that you put up, that Mm -hmm. sometimes you intervene, that sometimes you're hands-on, right? There's so Mm -hmm. many midwifery practices that are advertising with these like glossy, full-color Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. everything's hunky-dory, right? Um, no blood shown, nothing real, no hands Mm -hmm. even in the picture. So it looks like Mm -hmm. there are all these attended unassisted births happening in your practice. Mm -hmm. So the client Mm -hmm. subconsciously thinks, oh, this aligns with what I'm looking for and hires you when actually, you know, you're going to treat for postpartum hemorrhage with Pitocin, which is standard of care. Mm -hmm. And you're going to definitely require that they have their blood drawn and you're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. deal with things in a standard of care method, like most of us do. Mm -hmm. And then the Mm -hmm. client has birth trauma from that normal Mm -hmm. birth, right? Mm -hmm. So if if I could say anything around this, I would just say to midwives everywhere, please, please crack your business avatar and your advertising Mm -hmm. and your copy, and especially your full color glossy photos, craft it in such a way that it's actually representative. Yes, Mm -hmm. you will not some clients yeah. will not choose you. Thank God. Those are the yeah. clients that are not meant for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like good for advertising sure. naturally attracts the clients you should work with and mm-hmm. repels the clients yeah. you should not work with. So mm-hmm. whatever it is, and everyone's a little different, and that's the beauty of this of this profession, but like whatever it is that you do or don't do, make your advertising representative of that. That would be my my biggest takeaway. For sure. Definitely. It's definitely, and I completely 100% agree with all of that. One of the things that, um, I think one of the things that, so I have all these Google reviews, they're all five-star reviews. I've worked really hard for them. I've like send the links, blah, blah, blah. I was reading through the reviews just like maybe five days ago. And I was like, oh shit. There's like several reviews in there that are like, Lisa saved her life. It wasn't the, it wasn't the birth that I wanted, but it was the birth that I needed. There can actually be such a thing as too much positive reviews. Like that's actually a thing. Like that's like, I, I almost like, I'm almost like, oh God, if there could just be a couple of three stars, I'd really like. I mean, like, I'm just like to the point where I was like, really? Like, can I just be mediocre? Stop making me amazing. Just like, if one more person <laughs> tells me I saved somebody's life, I'm going to stab somebody. Like, oh my God. Like, you know, like, if one more person is like, she saved my life or she saved my baby's life or like, I would oh never have a birth without Lisa there. And it's like, what is that even? I'm just like, that is too much. That is too much. Like, I'm just a person. 
I am a person. And you know what? Birth happens. Birth happens. People can slip and fall. Okay. You could be in labor and you could be like pushing against your kitchen counter and have a wet spot and you could, you know, slip and fall and go down and get a concussion and you could be like, oh, that's birth trauma. But it's like, I didn't do anything. I was going to the bathroom. Like, you know, like, you know, like, I mean, it's like, oh my God. You know, I'm just like, at a certain point. If like, one okay. more person gives me a five-star review, I'm going to stab them. If one more person says I saved <laughs> their life, I'm going to, that is my total takeaway from this whole conversation. Lisa, you are so freaking hilarious. That's oh like my God. I, it is I mean, insane. And we get blamed for things that really have nothing to do with us. And I would say the best way out of that is to be really clear about what is your job and what is not. What do you right. do? What do you not do? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing that with informed decision-making, with a really clear boundaries around your time off, with having backup people who are there to take over when you do need a break, by taking right. enough people to birth. You know, it sounds like you're doing that. Yeah, I am always like, how do we get this out? Like, how do we get this out to the mainstream? I mean, I guess we do podcasts, yeah. <laughs> but right. but we I do these podcasts. I, like we, yeah, yeah we do exactly. these podcasts. Yeah, but it pains me. It really pains me when I hear these complaints that happen, these calls that midwives get, these investigations, yeah. and just in general, yeah. like it really hurts me when midwives are hurting. Like, yeah. I want to help prevent that any way yeah. that I can. Yeah. Yeah, me yeah. too. I mean, I've been, I've, I've been doing, I do NARM complaint reviews. Like I look at the, and I also am a California licensed midwife, um, expert reviewer. And the reason why, like some people are like, oh, you're the witch hunt, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. I try to be like a really objective person and see it from many, many different like angles. And so I'm just trying to like give like the objective point of view and, and really give like not only the midwife, but also the client, like a really, really fair listen. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. just trying to like listen and like all the different like angles because there's so many layers. This work is a layer of work. There is no one viewpoint. There is several layers. It's like a 10 layer, amazing lasagna. Okay. Like, yes. I mean, like I love food, you know? And so it's like, you know, you have this like handmade pasta, super thin. There's all that that goes into that, you know? And then you're going to layer with the sauce and like all the things that you like have with the sauce, you know? And then it's like the cheese is like crafted and it's like- You got layers like on layers, up, girl. And it's just like <laughs> layers and layers and layers. And you like, and, and, you know, and that's what like the birth experience is because it's not just like one moment. It's your prenatal care. It's the conception, whether it's wanted, whether it's not, blah, blah, blah. All these other things, infertility. And then you have the pregnancy and then you have the birth and then you have the postpartum and then you have the breastfeeding and then you have the stuff with like getting back into your normal life. And that's, this is a two year process. I tell people I'm three like, year, three. Year. Uh, yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, screw this. Like, like, you know, nine months and six weeks. Are you kidding me right now? I'm like, no, 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 no. Years, years. Oh, honey. No, yeah. like, this is a lifetime commitment that you're making yeah. and, and yeah. a change into yourself and to like your child yeah. and your relationship. And, and yeah. so I'm just like, constantly well, I love like your, I love your layers like, idea. Yeah, yeah. The layers. It's just like many, and many, I wanna, many layers. I want to add something else. And this is, um, you know, another amazing midwife we work with, but when we talk about the layers that stack and then the trauma that can stack, in right. the actual profession. I also want to talk about how important it is to have layers of support. So mm. um, one of the amazing um, resources yes. we have in our school is this course called Origins of Being. 
and it's taught by Mary Jackson, the amazing 40 year mm-hmm. veteran midwife out of California, you know, Mary Jackson. Yes. Yeah. And Mariah Malin, um, who has been working with the baby Institute in San, uh, Santa, uh, Santa Barbara for, I don't know, maybe a decade now. And they taught this amazing course specifically for midwives, um, mm-hmm. to not only understand, uh, how birth trauma happens, how to resolve it and prevent it, but also to understand how to unpack your own trauma and create mm-hmm. those layers of support mm-hmm. within your community, within your, your circle. So that when we do have these challenges and we will, um, there, right. there is, there is the support already built in. So I just want to plug that course because it's really amazing. It has CEUs and, um, you can take it Perfect. at your own course at your own pace. It's on, it's on the website, midwifferywisdom.com forward slash school. Yeah. That makes a huge, that. huge difference. Yeah. Yes. Lisa, it's yeah. been such a pleasure speaking to you today. You are such an epic you human. Too. You've got oh, so many ideas so out there. And you're I can't so wait lovely. to see what you do next. What do you do next? We'll see. I, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do next, but, um, you know, something amazing. I've, I've always wanted to, uh, teach and I've always yep. wanted to support and I've yep. always wanted to do, um, like philanthropy and in birth work. So like, you know, doctors without borders or like just really like going to places where nobody else wants to serve and amazing and like giving, giving to that. And, um, amazing. And I want to, I want to really see how I can do that. So well, I had one I of my last love. two, uh, podcasts were with, um, uh, two folks who are doing that. So check those out um, with Christine Laurie, who works with Medicine Sans Frontières. And then yes. I just um, interviewed Lorelai from Midwife Pilgrim. And so you should check out those two oh, episodes. I will They're check really out amazing. the one with Lorelai. I've definitely, I follow Christine. She is an yeah. inspiration for me. She's amazing. Yeah. Super amazing. amazing. I yep. just, yeah. When I was pregnant with my last kid, I just fantasized about like doctors without borders and knew that like, I would just have to wait, you know, you know, and, and as midwives, I just want to say, you know, it's a layering process and it's a journey and don't burn yourself out. So that way you can serve midwifery for a lifetime. Mm, Because if you burn yourself out too quickly, all of the service that you were meant to do might not ever come to fruition. And that would be just a tragedy for your community and the world and for midwifery. So yeah. just pace yourself. Yeah. Pace, yeah. pace yourself. yourself. That's a good takeaway. There yeah. we go. Well, I miss my you dear, so much. Um, I miss you so much from playing on the beaches in Maui to oh. all the fun that we've oh had before. Oh my gosh, the cliff things. and Oh God, like, oh God. It was so was, fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I yeah, took Lisa took- around the edge of the island and, and she, she thought I was going to murder her, but she did I, not die. So that's good. I <laughs> learned. I just pushed my boundaries. Oh my gosh. Pushed my boundaries. Augustine. She did not kill me in her car, and I thank her for that. Did not kill you. (laughs) You're welcome. And in and in return, you got the amazing views of the backside of Maui. Oh, it was so lovely, and I learned so much about myself. So appreciate you and everything that you do. That was one on one of our retreats for Midwifery Wisdom, and we have another. Oh, uh, they're amazing retreat coming up, and uh, go to them. uh, Yeah, the experience will be in November. Do it. Galveston. Go to Galveston. My family's from Galveston. It's so beautiful. The oysters are so amazing. Beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, amazing. oysters. We have all oh, kinds of food yes. there. Oh, yes. So, so good. Well, my go dear, I hope you have a fantastic uh, evening. It's my daytime. And yeah, have a good see day. See you soon. See you okay. in November. Yes. Mm-hmm. See you in November. Okay. okay. Bye, babe. Bye.